doing their labor of love. And so uh, they did a great job preparing everything, the food, the water slide. Uh, the kids, they have, a, they have an inflatable water slide, probably as tall as these lights, uh, that you can climb up one side and slide down the slide into the pool. And, you know, they started about six and we stayed all the way to the fireworks when Ben shot fireworks off for us. And uh, there were kids still going down that slide in the dark. And it was like, I was tired and worn out watching them. I think Cameron, I was teasing Cameron, trying to be a little facetious. How many times did you go down, Cameron? Three or four times? He said, no, like three or four hundred. <laughs> and uh, he was still doing it with the lights out. So they had a great time on the slide, the kids. A lot of great fellowship. So uh, uh, we're thankful for all the work that went in, folks, and uh, your labor of love again. But uh, the fellowship was awesome. So we don't have a lot right now on the calendar uh, other than the, what we need to be in prayer for is Vacation Bible School. As you can see, the decorations, uh, we're not redoing the church. We're prepared for Vacation Bible School, and that will start this evening at uh, 6 o'clock. So uh, for those that are participating and help, you know, helping out teachers and volunteers, we're so grateful uh, in any capacity. Please be in prayer for our teachers, but mostly, uh, mainly for the children. Make sure their heart's ready as they continue to solve the case that will lead them to finding Christ, that they have a great time with that and a great time to invest in our children and uh, share the love of Christ, uh, you know, that Christ has for them and then grow in that. So that'll start this evening at 6 and run through Thursday. So uh, it's not too late. If you want to be involved, if you want to volunteer, even just one night, it will still be a blessing. Just reach out, let Julia know, or go to our webpage and you'll see it click there, uh, you know, for volunteer and fill that out. But it probably would be easier at this point just to get with Julia. If you've got a particular night you're free, uh, there'll be something to do, I promise you. So, but keep them in prayer. And as you can see, we got some folks that are already working on the case. And uh, so uh, I may be in trouble. So y'all pray for me. And uh, as you're praying for the kids, uh, I didn't get a waiver sign before I did that. So anyway, uh, but uh, we, uh, the kids are going to have a great time. A lot's gone into that. So we're excited about our VBS. And I think that is it. Uh, of course, there'll be no journey group on Wednesday night because, uh, because of VBS. Is that my dime? That looks just like my dime. Anyway. So, uh, but anyway, uh, no Wednesday night. So uh, uh, just, uh, I think that's it. I'm up here just rambling. So are you ready? You through? All right, all right, man, if you'll come forward and we'll pray over our service this morning and the offering.
If you'll stand with us, we're going to continue our time of worship.
what does it mean when the night is holding on to me? Have you ever had a circumstance happen in your life where the darkness just felt like it was pouring in, you were at the bottom of a pit, and it had a hold on you? Well, there's good news. God said that He will be our stronghold. And He says that He holds on to us. He says no man can pluck us out of His hand. So when the darkness and the things going on around you just feel like they have a grip, it's the king of your heart who has all the power and who rules the light. So run to the light. The only thing you can do with any darkness, any sin, any circumstance that is just turning your life upside down is run to the light. Because the light dispels the darkness. The darkness doesn't understand the light. So that's, that's all we can do. So I wanted you to understand when we sing that, God does sing over us while we sleep. He says that in his word. But this is talking about just when life is piling in on you and you're holding your hand and the water's here. Reach that hand to God because he will be there and he's holding on to you. He's not going to let you drown when you see them. Let's come to our prayer time and talk to him.
Oh God, is so good. Is he? Trying to pick on Cameron, he wouldn't pay attention to me. All right, I think you're going to appreciate this morning. I've appreciated it all week. Going over this uh, is one of those good weeks. Got it early. Holy Spirit didn't change it, so I got to rejoice in it and live in it and with excitement to get here. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and lay it out there, the fact that that's not Greek or Hebrew or how, you know, hieroglyphics, if that's how you say it up there. And what that is saying is don't put a period in your life where God's putting a comma. Don't put a period in your life where God's going to put a comma. And we're going to see this in Scripture today in a mighty way. But I want to show you a video first. And I think this uh, will, will, will help give us a good foundation. I'm the greatest hitter in the world! Strike one. I'm the greatest hitter in the world! Strike two. to appreciate that I'm the right greatest there. hitter in the world! <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I just popped up on my, on my uh, computer during the week, and I, I, could, I busted out laughing. I thought that was so good. Uh, but that's the perspective we need. Uh, if we can get the lights back on, guys. And uh, the perspective and understanding that we have a God of commas. And not so much a God of periods. God has his commandments. He has his thus saith the Lord's that have their periods applied to them. But when it comes to our life, one, because of the free will and nature we have and because of our flesh and because of our decisions, in a lot of ways, God has to deal with commas in dealing with us. But we need to understand that we need to make sure we're not putting periods in our life where God has a big comma in our life. I don't know where you're at. Some of you do. But I don't know the depths of where you're at in your life, what chapter you're at, what you're going through. But I can tell you this. I can promise you as your brother in Christ and as your pastor that this is not your final chapter. Or you wouldn't be sitting here this morning if this was your final chapter. God's not through with you. You know, I don't know if you're going to be a great hitter I don't know if you're going to be a great pitcher, but I do know that you're still in the game and you're still playing. And we need to have that attitude and we need to have that perseverance that it ain't over till the Lord says it's over. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The Father is still writing your story. He's still writing my story. But the thing is, it's our human nature. We're, we're more so purveyors uh, or of history than we are tomorrow we're so quick to want to reflect back rather than making history we're more stuck in history 
And, and Paul made it very clear, you know, don't look back. Look back to learn, but don't look back to dwell. There's a big difference to look back and learn versus looking back and dwelling. Because if you're dwelling, you're not learning. If you're learning, then you can go on when Paul says, and press on to the high calling of Lord Jesus Christ. Every failure. You, <laughs> I read so many isms and quotes about, from sports quotes to just life quotes from you know, psychiatrists to, to Christian quotes about pressing on. You can find endless little catchy quotes about keep on keeping on. And the reason there's so many of them out there is because that's what people are looking for. Because so many people want to give up. Especially in this world today. Suicide is horrible. Suicide amongst now between 14 and 28 is the highest it's ever been. It's scary. And people are looking for hope. And people are only putting periods, are only seeing periods in their life. So I want to encourage us this morning, don't put a period where God's trying to put a comma. Sometimes we want to say, I'm done with life. Life's done with me. I can't go on. I've lost loved ones. I've lost money. I've lost whatever. I've lost my health. You may have lost something, but you still have God, do you not? We got God. If we got God, then be looking for commas and quit focusing on the periods. Because God's not through. Have we prayed yet? I'm sitting here preaching. I passed up my prayer note. See? Calm down, Connie. We got to get in order. God's a God of order. Connie got me all worked up this morning. Anyway. Well, let's pray. We'll get going here. Father, thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the excitement we have in your word. So just ask that you anoint it this morning, prepare our hearts, that we understand that you are a God of commas and you're not through with our life or we wouldn't be here. So help us to relish in that, grow in that. God us, direct us through your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So that feeling of wanting to quit, to want to give up, I can't really think of, I mean, I, there's so many individuals, but when I think of quitting or I hear somebody say I'm going to quit, two people always pop into my mind instantly, and it's Job and Moses. And, and, and Job and Moses are pretty extremes in the Scripture. And, and, and thank goodness that God's merciful enough that he never puts any of us on a Job or Moses path. Because I don't know if he can really find a believer today <laughs> that can walk in Job or Moses' shoes. I mean, Moses... But, you know, we know his story for time's sake, and, and he, he strikes the Egyptian soldier and kills him, and, and, he, and he leaves. He's gone for 80 years. You would have to think after 80 years, well, I messed up. God's obviously through with me. But only for God to come back with a huge comma and says, all right, now I'm ready for you, Moses. Moses is like, hey, well, I'm old. I can't talk. It's not me. And then Job, oh my goodness, the story of Job. Job may be an example of the biggest comma we can see in scriptures, but in all fairness, it's all throughout the scriptures. So let's read our verse this morning. It comes out of Jeremiah 36, verse 2 on the screen. If you'd stand with me as we read from the Word of God, as we'll read aloud together, please. It says, Take thee a roll of a book. And write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel. 
and against Judah and against all the nations. And from the day that I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. Amen. Thank you. The point being that we're going to talk about how important scribes were in Scripture. Scribes are all throughout the Scripture. But consider a story first. We're going to look at some verses here. Consider Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Look what it says in John 11, 32. It says, Then when Mary was come here and saw Jesus, he saw him, and she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. What? Period. Was that not a factual, poignant, heartfelt, emotional statement of Mary? Without a doubt. And she knew the miracles of her Savior. She had seen some of them and heard of probably all of them. And, and, and this is the Savior that dined in their house. And who knows the stories that Jesus told them dining with them. And yet she sees him and says, but you weren't here, so my brother is dead. Look what goes on to say in verses 38 through 40. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave, a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Mary speaks up. It says, The sister of him that was dead saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. What? Basically a period, you know, too late now? I told you he was dead. You know, in, in verse, what, what, what was it, 32 or something? I told you he was dead. Now you want to do one of your miracles? Too late again. He stinks now. And goes on. It says, for he said, you know, dead for four days. Jesus, Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe. How many commas? I mean, just, I mean, it doesn't really apply, but just notice commas in Jesus' statement. If thou wouldest believe, comma, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Go on to verse 43, I think it is, yeah. And when he, Jesus, thus had spoken, he, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Then Jesus puts his period on it. I've spoken. I, God, have spoken and intervened in your life. You are putting period after period over your situation. Jesus says, you're missing the commas. You know, Mary, you know, Elizabeth, you know who I am, you know what I am, you know what I've done, you know my love for your brother, you know my love for my creation. You're saying what was dead, that I had no control over that? You forgot the commas. If you would have believed what I told you, you would have been seeing my glory. Then God reveals his glory, then God puts... His period. You see, the importance is the difference where we place our periods and where God puts his period are on the wrong emphasis. Our periods, I can almost guarantee you, you can look through scriptures. I've read so many stories this week just in this perspective. Look at your own life. Most of the time, I feel very strongly about this, kind of going out on a limb here. Most of the periods that we put in our lives are directed towards us. Not a period in what we're confident God's going to do, a period in this isn't fair. 
look where I'm at. Look what happened to me. This isn't going to work out. People have died. This is that. My life's over. Everything I thought, everything I worked for, everything. We put periods, and all those periods are usually self-directed. When God puts his period, it brings it back to him and to his glory. I think in John 21, uh, it's a great passage at the end of John there, and, and Christ had, you know, been buried and, and, and you know, resurrected and anointed the disciples and went on to heaven. And, and, and G, Peter, of all people, Peter, who was so radical for Jesus, and, and Peter finally makes a statement, and he basically, it's all over with for the most part that he sees, and you can see the imagery, him standing on the shore with some of the disciples, and Peter says, well, I go with fishing. And what Peter's saying is, well, that was the greatest three years of my life, but it's over. Christ is gone. I'm just going to go back where I started three years ago. And, and Peter makes a statement with a big period on it. I'm just going to go fishing. And yet Jesus appears again on the shore. And the one that at one time was walking on water, following Jesus, and now kind of threw up his spiritual arms, now, when he realizes it's Jesus and tells the other disciples, finds himself back in the water, swimming towards Jesus again. Because he put a period where Jesus was wanting to put a comma in his life. Then you can go all through Genesis, uh, I think it's around verse, or chapter 27, I believe, and all the way through 45, and it encompasses the life of Jacob and Joseph and and Jacob, you know, deceiving his father and stealing the birthright from Esau. Uh, and it goes on uh, to uh, force him, uh, you know, to wanting to marry Rachel. And then his father-in-law, Laban, tricks him. And not after seven years, he has to work 14 years. He ends up with, Le with Leah, and he really wanted Rachel. But all this works through the life, and, and it gets, to, you know, to Joseph. And, and, and here's Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, and all he goes. You read that whole story for about six or seven chapters, and it's a mess. It's chaos. It's dysfunctional. And so many decisions that are made and perspectives that are taken. And yet, for all those verses, all the way through the life of Jacob and Joseph, you just see comma after comma after comma that God works in ways that they never knew. And what does it do? It all culminates to the fact that J Joseph's in a position that when the famine come in, came that God promised and said would happen, it was Joseph that God placed there in a position that would not only save his fathers, but the very brothers that sold him is saved God's whole nation of his people. And I think if it was either one of us, we would have had periods, exclamation points, and like Peter said, I, I'm just going back to my life. And God does miracles. Listen to what Paul says. Listen to these three verses in perspective. Philippians 3, 13 through 14 tells us, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, or I'm going to add cautiously. I know we're not supposed to add to the Scripture. You know what I'm saying. Todd's princes, those things are behind or those things in our lives that we put periods on are behind in reaching forth into the things which are before. I press towards the mark of the price of the high calling of our God, you know, of Christ Jesus. Look what it says in Philippians 1, 6. You should be familiar with this. This gets quoted all the time. Being confident of this very thing, that which I have begun in you, 
I will what? Yeah, I will fulfill it. I will complete it, perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28, another powerful verse that gets quoted all the time. We know that all things work together for good, that them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. The scriptures are loaded with God's promises for our life. God's saying, if I can get this out of you, if you can find my purpose, you got my promise. Purpose, comma, promise. Well, I want the promise, okay? Well, you can't put a period before the promise. You got to put a comma after the purpose. Find your purpose, find God's purpose more so, what God wants for your life. Understand God's doing something through your life. Don't give up on your life. Stay focused on Christ. Keep speaking Jesus. Stay focused on the eternal perspective. Pray your way through the storm, but focus on the comma because there's a promise following it. Don't put a period there. Don't cheat yourself out of God's love and God's provision for your life. So back to the scribes, as I told you. We're going to look at this from the perspective of the scribes and scriptures. Again, they're throughout the Old and New Testament writing. But there's one that's very, you may not be familiar, I mean, you're familiar with the name, but it's a lesser known character or talked about character. Don't hear a lot of sermons about him or there's really not a whole lot of depth. But he was extremely instrumental under King Xerxes in reestablishing the nation of Israel. He was their spiritual leader, and he brought about great reform after the, uh, the, the kingdom was rebuilt. But it deals with Ezra. Now, Ezra was a powerful prophet in the, in the uh, scriptures, but Ezra was also a scribe himself. And, and that's important to understand that, that he was. And a scribe had a specific job. Now, they were very purposeful. They didn't have internet, dictaphones, all the technology we had today. So scribes were, were extremely important. But they were extremely important to kings, to earthly kings. And what scribes were given, they were given the privilege to always to be around the throne. And a lot of times, to, to, I mean, they always accompanied the king. And, and they may even have access to the king's room. Because every time the king spoke, the scribe recorded it. And the reason was that it held the king accountable, but it allowed the king to, to reflect on what he needs to do and, and what has occurred. What it does is the recording of history. Right now in the White House, who's ever sitting in the White House, unfortunately we've seen scandals because of it all the way back to Watergate. A president cannot open his mouth without being recorded. In the White House, phone conversations, in meetings with his advisors, everything is recorded. It's scribed for a purpose. It has great importance to reflect back and to recall and bring into memory what was important at a very specific time. We're going to look at a great example of this in Esther chapter 6. And, uh, and, and it's a particular example is very interesting because one night it tells us in Esther 6.1, that the king couldn't sleep. We've all been there up all night, you know, couldn't get his thoughts to relax. And so he calls for the scribes, the people to go and get the book of scribes and bring to him and read to him. I get ready for this. Your favorite book in the Bible. He says, come and read to me the Chronicles. You know, first and second Chronicles that we do our devotions out of every morning, you know. And, and so, you know, my point being, I thought it was really, it was like a, you know, 
four, you know, around 400 B.C. sleeping pill is what it was. Come and read these chronicles to me. The king will get heavy-eyed and fall asleep, just like you do when you, you and I when we try to read chronicles. But something very interesting happens because as they're reading chronicles to the king, they come up with a story about a man with the name of Mordecai. Mary with Mordecai? Mordecai and Esther? Well, as they look back, as they're reading the story, the king's listening that one time Mordecai heard that there was a plot to kill the king. And Mordecai, being a, you know, a loyal and faithful man, he runs and tells the guards or whoever he needs to tell that, hey, there's, I found out there's a, a plot to assassinate the king. And, and, it, and it stops the attempt. Well, that got recorded. Well, the, the king hears this, and the king's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I, I, I forgot this, maybe, or I don't remember. This Mordecai guy that saved my life, instrumental, has he been awarded, rewarded? They're like, no, it doesn't show that he got his reward. And the king says, well, we're going to reward this man. He saved the king's life. And they, if you read the story, for time's sake, you know how the story of Mordecai unfolds in the scriptures that leads to to esther and all that takes place but the king ends up then parading mordecai as they would to give people a place of honor put a robe on him and on the king's horse and and parading through town for you know a great accomplishment he did well this all came about only because it was scribed it was recorded and brought back to the earthly king's memory of something good and something important so the scribe is instrumental in reminding us of what's important to us. So here's a point for you. Not necessarily the lesson today, but it fits in as a point. Are we good scribes? Think about that. Are we good scribes when we hear from the king of kings? When he's talking to us? Meaning those times you wonder, has Todd been hiding in my living room? Has Todd been on the other end of my phone calls? That sermon he preached, has he been listening to what I'm saying? Does he know something he wasn't supposed to know? That stepped on my toe. How did he know that? Well, FYI, I'm not spying on you. I don't know your phone conversations. I don't know what you're talking about is secret. But the, God, but the Holy Spirit does, does he not? And so when you get a sermon or you get a truth and you're like, wow, wow, that hit home. I get it from y'all. I get text. Well, you're stepping on my toes today. I thought, what are you doing picking me out in the congregation, you know, jokingly? I'm not. The Holy Spirit is. Moments like that, do we scribe that? Now, this isn't really the Bible I study with. I bring this one, and the reason I bring this one so I can read it. The Bible I study with is falling apart on the outside. The leather's gone. It's got duct tape on it. The spine is broken on it. That's all good and fine. The reason I don't bring it, because it is so highlighted, marked up in pen, notes in some places written across the scriptures. And when I'm up here trying to read, it's too hard to read. My point is, I have scribed so much in my, what I say is my actual Bible, because every time the Holy Spirit speaks to me, or I get something from the Word, I don't go, oh, that was good, and close it and go on about my day. Because you know what happens? It happens to me sometimes, and I know it happens to you. 
you know what, what was that? Somebody said something, I heard something, uh, Brad or Todd said something. Oh, it was so good, I just, man, I wish I could remember it. Well, it wasn't Brad and Todd that said it, it was the Holy Spirit that said it. And if you didn't scribe it, you lose the opportunity to reflect back on it and what that means for your life. Because the reason it made emphasis on you at the time, because the Holy Spirit knew you needed it. And if you don't scribe it, how do you reflect back on it? You may hear a song. If you can listen to Brad and mine's conversation, it's endless. More so from my side, because he's my pastor and his gift is knowledge, it's not mine. And, and so I'll bounce something off of him. I, I called him this week about to make sure I had clarity on the thought I was having. And him and I could be in conversations and even sometime in my ignorance of doctrine compared to his, I've said over these 22 years I've known him, there's been many times I've said something. He goes, whoa, whoa, wait, say that again. Hold on, let me get my pen. And here's a man that is that his gift from God, the Holy Spirit, is knowledge, and he'll tell somebody that's not his gift, that's only a pastor, and say, whoa, whoa, say that again. I've got to write that down. And he's not even preaching that Sunday or even teaching Wednesday night. But he understood it was something that hit his heart, and he knew it didn't come from Todd. He knew it came from the Holy Spirit through Todd, and he says, I need to scribe that. Do we live like that? Does the Word of God cause us to scribe the Holy Spirit's teaching on our heart, in our mind? It's so important. This is how important scribes were. If you look at Jeremiah 52, you can cross-reference 2 Kings 25. It records the attack. It's recorded by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, upon Israel. And, and it goes on to record that they were instructed. Nebuchadnezzar gave instructions to go and, and to capture the leaders, the captains, the guards, the eunuchs of the soldiers. He says, capture and round all these people up. And it says in the scripture in Jeremiah 25, and the king scribe. Now that word, or chief scribe, is what it says, I may believe. And it says that word chief scribe is a Hebrew word meaning reported to, to serve, to inform the masses of. That's how that word's used. So King Nebuchadnezzar, having his own scribes, understood that, wait a second, we need to make sure we round up and I put on my hit list and who I want eliminated is the chief scribe. Now why would Nebuchadnezzar put the chief scribe up with the captains and the generals and the eunuchs of the army. The reason it being Nebuchadnezzar did not want it recorded of what he was doing to Israel because if it doesn't work out, and the point being when the father's children can read that his children have faced enemies before, when they face persecution, they've been under great attack, when nothing's going well and God works a miracle through that, enemy kings don't want that recorded. They don't want God's children hearing that God comes through, that God has commas, that God delivers, that God restores, that God protects. Yeah, no, 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 no. We don't want that written out there. Well, we got the same thing today. I'm under attack. I'm going through a storm. I've lost loved ones. This has happened to me. Uh, I, my heart goes out. But you're not the first one it's happened to. Find those that it's happened to and find the commas in their life and see what God brought forth out of it. 
does, may not necessarily mean the pain goes away, but there's a lesson in the pain for the glory to come through Christ in your life. Nebuchadnezzar said, no, we can't have a chief scribe recording anything that's going on. We don't want them to have anything positive to reflect back on. If his children, God's children, start believing that if the Lord did it once, then he might do it again. And they don't want, Satan doesn't want us having hope. That's why Satan will do anything. Oh, please, I mean, this just came to me. It's not even in my notes. This is the Holy Spirit right here. Do you understand how much effort Satan goes through to keep you out of the Word of God? For the very reason we're talking about this morning, he does not want you reading victory stories. He doesn't want you reading about hope, about perseverance, about strength, about deliverance, about promises. He doesn't want that coming into your mind. He wants you to focus on money and your desires and you want your wants and your wish list. Because the more you read about the victories of God in your life, the more it suppresses the work of Satan in your life. Don't cheat yourself out of the Word of God. That's where our promise and our hope lies. Immerse yourself in the scribe of scribes, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit through man has inscribed all 33,000 plus verses in here through 66 books to give us the promise, hope of Jesus Christ for our life. And we want to close the book and take a Mark's law and put giant periods on our life. And God's got endless stories of comma after comma after comma of someone that's walked the same place you walked with a promise of hope following it. Man, that was worth coming for. That wasn't even in my notes. That was just from the Spirit. We all just pray and go home right there. But I worked all week on this, so I want to get it out. So, so, so here, here's the point. The worst thing that's ever happened to you and me, the worst thing that's ever happened, are we not still here? The man that just said, whoo, hallelujah, is a reformed drug addict delivered by the, the grace of God. And others in here that have had addictions, that have had bad choices that altered their life in a great way. The worst that's ever happened to us, and God had a comma because we're still here. The prodigal son, they come back. Do they not? Cancer vanishes the morning of surgery. Brother Bragg can attest to that. When, when, when him and Bob Giffen were, were, went to the hospital downtown, I don't know which hospital, but praying over a lady that had cancer in her body, was having had this surgery, and, and, and Bob just, a, man, I had the privilege, Bob and Donna Giffen in Brad and Peggy's life for so many years, and I had the privilege to get to know them briefly and spend a week with them in missionary down in Mexico. But a man that just loved the Lord and depended on the power of the Holy Spirit working, and they go down there and pray over, and the next morning, was it, the surgeon comes in, prepping her for, for, for the surgery. He says, well, we're going to get one more look. It took another set of x-rays and came back in with the x-rays, maybe, somehow, the story. But the, the truth is there. So there ain't no more cancer. Within 24 hours, another x-ray, after Bob and, and Brad praying over her, comes in, well, we're canceling the surgery. There's no more cancer. 
God still heals cancer. God brings back prodigal sons. God brings and overcomes addictions. That's what God does. Don't wait. Record it. And get back busy worshiping, testifying, and speaking Jesus to others that God is a God of commas. Don't lose hope. Don't quit. Don't stop. What's your option? You stop, you better put a period. If you give up on God and you stop and you lose your hope, you might as well put a period, exclamation point, dot, dot, dot. Because I can't promise you what's going to happen from there. But I can promise you, not what will come of it, but I can promise you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what chapter you're at in your life, if you put a comma and you wake up tomorrow morning, call me and I can promise you that the Lord is not through with you and has got promises for your life. Not because I said it, because the Lord said it. And I can testify to it in my own life. Don't put a period where the Father's wanting to put a comma. Isaiah 46.10 should be on the screen for us. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times to the things that are not what? Yet done. God just says, I'm not done. I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the one that, put, that puts periods, not you. That's above our spiritual pay grade. We don't have the spiritual authority to put a period in our life. God says, I do that. He's the only one that declares the beginning from the end. Case in point is the fact that you understand that even your physical death does not have a period. You ever put that in your pipe and smoke it? Well, that may be true, Todd, but when I die, I can put a period there. No, you can't. That's the biggest comma of all because eternity starts. God's not through with you because you die. He's like, the party's going to get started now. Come on. Biggest comma in our life is our death. If we read the lives of Job, Moses, Abraham, Joseph, uh, oh, Samson. Oh, man, Samson's a great story of a comma. Uh, David. Look at the mess David made of his life. If we look at these individual lives and what God did through them, how do we think we have the spiritual authority to put a period in our life? There's not a one of us here that have made the, the decisions some of these men have made. Samson and Delilah and carried off in his sexual fantasies, David and his murder and adultery, numbering the Israelites, boasting. And yet God put a comma because he's still a man after my own heart. If the Lord restores marriages, and he does, addicts, he does, broken hearts, he does, broken lives, he does, he does it daily. What are we scribing in the way we're living our life? Are we living our life as a comma, or are we living our life as a period? Woe is me, my age, my health, this problem, that problem, my finances. What, I don't care whatever it is. If we're focused on this life, then we're focused on periods. 
If you're able to hold on to the eternal perspective that God's a God of promises, He knows the beginning from the end, the Alpha and the Omega, and what He began in us, He will finish it to the day of Jesus Christ, then you have to start looking at it through commas. I love Brother Lloyd's glasses. Got that little wiggly eye on his glasses. If we're wearing glasses, we ought to take them and put two big old commas on our glasses. Maybe when you start seeing life with a bunch of commas instead of with periods. Look at this. I'm going to kind of direct this back towards me only for an example. Don't take it out of context. Look what it says in Jeremiah 23.1. I don't want to sound boastful. This scripture here doesn't make sense to probably everybody in here except for Brad and myself. Woe be unto the, what? That destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith who? Who? Now, Brother Brad's calling is not to be a pastor. He is a pastor. He has the ability to do that. God's anointed him over the years to do that. His gift is knowledge. My gift is, is faith, and God has called me to be a pastor to the church. He called Brother Brad to be a teaching pastor. Those are two different roles. And, and, but still, this right here scares me to death, and this is why it scares me to death. Those that were responsible to lead Israel were the very ones responsible to, to lead, for leading them astray. This is what Jeremiah's pointing out. And here's my point. I'm telling you now, as your pastor, I won't ever quit on you. One, because I can't. It's not all just my love for you. It's my love for the Lord <laughs> that says I can't. But I love you enough, and, and I believe so much in what I'm preaching about this morning. I will never quit on you. And I'll never give up because I know God will never give up on you. And thus, so I don't have the authority to give up on you. So what do I do? I serve you. That's all I can do is I can serve you and serve you and serve you in any way God wants to use me to serve you. I'll do Bible studies. I'll visit your home. I'll go see loved ones. I'll come to hospitals. I'll cry with you. I'll take every text, every phone call. I'll stay up. I'll walk away from dinners with my wife because I will not give up on you. For this reason here, not because it's me, okay? But I can't tell you how many times when I get a little discouraged or a little sideways that I get the words, Todd, you just got to let go. Todd, you can't make them love the Lord. Todd, you can't make them go to church. Todd, you just need to let go and relax. And, and that's between them and God, let go, baloney. You may be able to say that. I can't say that. One, because of my calling. But two, I'm never going to give up on somebody just because they don't want to get in the Word of God, come to church, use their spiritual gift, and serve the Lord. I will always chase after that one sheep. Why? Because I know God has a comma for their life. I don't care how many times you wander away or anybody wanders away. I am never going to say, well, did what I could do. That's between them and the Lord. I can't make them, you know, can't lead a horse, you know, lead a horse to water, can't make them drink. No. Because I know there's people in my life that didn't give up on me. 
And I know that I only answer my calling because God used somebody not to give up on me. I don't know who in here might have a calling. I don't know. It took me 33 years before I found mine, but that's here nor there. The point is that somebody helped me find it, and that was one of the biggest comments in my life. And nothing ever really started happening good in my life and definitely nothing good and for God until I got on the other side of that comma. Because I know my God is a God of commas, not a God of periods. I know I'm not the most eloquent speaker. I don't have a vast knowledge of doctrine. I sit up here and I butcher the English language and pronunciation all the time. But I will not give up on the sheep of the Lord and Savior. Now, if you're more worried about how I speak and how I use the English language and how much I, you know, engross you in the Word of God, then you probably need to find another pastor. But if you want one that is praying for you, caring for you, and not giving up on you because I know God doesn't give up on me, then I'm here for you. Don't take that out of context and injecting myself into this sermon. It's only to the fact that it illustrates the power of a comma versus a period. So if you want to find the goodness of God in your life, the hope that this promises us, then start with your own salvation. Because that's the biggest comma in your life, the day that somebody shared Jesus Christ with you and you understood your, the, your need for a Savior and the work of Christ on the cross, that you accepted Christ and His redeeming work by Him and Him alone and His death, burial, and resurrection. When you prayed and accepted that gift, according to Romans 6.23, is the biggest comma God ever put in your life. Because prior to that, you did have a period. What we didn't know prior to that is we were all too ignorant to understand there was a period there. Because if we would have died without the gospel, that was a period. Your life was over. You understand the gospel, and you'll find the biggest comma in your life that that's where your hope started. Look at Jeremiah 31. You've got to love Jeremiah chapter 31. It is a powerful passage and it, it introduces and ushers in the promise of the new covenant that's given to us it's written on not on our hearts i mean not on stones but on the heart of man through the gospel but look what it says here in jeremiah 31 1 at the same time saith the lord will i now in the way it's written in the king james you can read that as we'd read it today god's saying i will and if you go on and read jeremiah 31 God says, will I or I will. He says it 19 times in Jeremiah 31. God says, I will. And every time it says, I will, you can put a comma right there. I will what? Well, go read Jeremiah 31 this afternoon, and you'll see all the I wills. So 19 times in one chapter, God puts 19 commas after stating what I will do. Telling us what? Telling us that he is going to do it. That's why he's God. He keeps his word, does he not? 
if he doesn't keep his word, then there's no immutability to God, and we turn this into a nightclub. God keeps his word. And if he says, I will, then focus on the comma. What's to come? So what is God going to do? What's so important that for 19 times he points out, I will? Well, Jeremiah 31 all focuses back to his children, which for us today, we're still his children, those that accepted Christ. He says, I will restore Israel to its full glory. We got that same promise for our lives. God says, I will restore you to glory. Now, it may take you 80 years of living through hell on earth, but you and I will one day be restored to full glory in the presence of God and our glorification. It's coming. That's Christ's promise. And that all comes by ways he goes on and talks about the new covenant we'll have in Jesus Christ, not of those written on stone, which was by the law that man couldn't keep, man couldn't hold, that man broke. He says, I'll give you a new covenant in Jesus Christ through the gospel that man can't destroy and man can't lose once he has it. Greatest gift we've ever been given. So while the scriptures give us in the stories of commas in them, Jesus doesn't want us to read, just to read them. See, here's the problem. When we just only read this, we read it as a story. We read it as being scribed on a course of history. I love history. About the only subject I did well in in school was history. I, I watch it all the time on TV. I read about it. I just, I love history. But as much, I was just this weekend, I was watching a documentary about World War II, a battle I wasn't familiar with, and it's very interesting. But no matter how much I watched it or if I chose to go read about it, was I there? So when it shows the heroic actions and the soldiers that won and the victory that brought liberation, you know, in Germany against, you know, against the Jews, that's just a story to me. It was a miracle to those that live it. So while God wants you reading this, he wants you to understand the commas he has for us in our lives, he also wants us to be scribing in our own lives, our own testimonies, our own miracles. If not, you just get caught up in stories. And the stories usually relate out, well, yeah, that happens to Brad and Todd. That doesn't happen to my life. Because you're reading it at a story. And not understanding there's a promise, and where there's a promise, miracles happen. So what do I encourage you to do? Maybe homework for the, I don't, I'm not big about homework. I would encourage you to start doing some journaling. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not a big journaler. I know some of y'all are, some of y'all have talked about it. You'll come up and show me something y'all journaled six months ago, and, and now you've got a big red mark on it, and, you know, the promise that came by, you know, the miracle that came of it. That's awesome. That's scribing. And when we start journaling in our lives, I encourage you not just to journal only what we're praying for, and that's good and fine. There's, there's, that's good to do, to see how God works it out. I would encourage you to take a yellow tablet, and I'd encourage you to start scribing the miracles God's done in your life. And it may not be heal, healing you from cancer, but every miracle doesn't have to be a Red Sea miracle. 
As I told you, those who are here Wednesday night, what happened to us coming back from Missouri and hydroplaning on, on the highway there in Arkansas at 65 miles an hour and seeing that ravine and, and barely catching a guardrail by just a few feet from going off in that ravine, I can attest to you that that was a miracle. Was we talked about Wednesday night. The better we are at recording and acknowledging, scribing what God has done in our lives, then it's not just a story to us. Now it's something for us to have hope in that God has always been there for us. Don't live with an attitude like Job's wife. Remember what Job's wife told him? Look what's happened to you. The God we've been serving all this time, the God you've been praising and I'm assuming praying to at dinner, that God has put you here. Curse him and die. Exclamation point. Don't live like that. Don't live because you come into a trial or a hardship or a season in your life and you start pouting in your soup. Oh, God doesn't love me anymore. I don't know why I go to church. I don't know why I read and my Bible and pray and do all those devotions and Brad and Todd say, I don't know why. Look where I'm at. What has God done for me? What has that done for me? Then you're just like Job's wife. Instead of putting a comma in the storm. You may find, your, you know, if yesterday wasn't enough and tomorrow appears to be too much, then I promise you today is sufficient in the Lord. Live in today. Live in the promises. Live in the fullness of the day that God has given you. And don't put a period in today. The Bible says, boast you not about tomorrow. You don't know what a day brings forth. Live in today. Let God take care of tomorrow. The past is gone. You can't change it anyway. Live in the sufficiency of the promises of God today. You're here, so He has a purpose and a reason for you. Don't be using periods. Find the comma. I'll close with well, a couple, just an example after that. Let's look at Job chapter 11. And Mark, was you able to get that in the ESV? Yeah, I'm going to read this to you in the English Standard Version because it puts an emphasis with more clarity and a very little translational difference between King James and the ESV. But in the ESV, it reads, and you will find, you know, you will feel secure. Now, in context here, this is God talking to Job because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. Verse 19, you will lie down and none will make you afraid. Now watch this. Many will court your favor. Well, Job, well God's telling Job that all you've been through, hold your course. Keep on fighting the good fight. Hold on to your hope. Settle down in my promises. You're going through hell on earth. But I promise you there's a comma coming, Job, and there's going to be people that come. If you hold on to me, they're going to be wanting what you got. And Job got it because he got everything back tenfold because he held on. You want to make an influence for the kingdom of God? You want to have a ministry that makes a difference? Keep the periods out of your life. Focus on the commas, scribe them, and speak Jesus to people about the commas God's brought into your life. 
And you'll find that people want what you got. A God of commas, not a God of periods. Consider these examples. And I'm going to close really with a story here that you'll find interesting. Noah was isolated, belittled, mocked by his fate for building an ark. Comma, God ended up offering Noah grace because of it. Isaac was offered as a sacrifice. Comma, God provided the sacrifice himself. Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute, and was to be killed. And comma, God restored her beauty, her worth, and brought forth Christ through her lineage. David murdered Uriah, took his wife in adultery. Comma, God brought forth Solomon out of that who he used to build his first temple. Hezekiah begged God against God's wisdom for 15 more years. That brought forth Manasseh and his son Amon. They were probably, for sure, Manasseh, but Amon followed in his footsteps the, the two worst kings that Israel ever had. And yet, comma, through that, God brought forth Josiah, who restored Israel. We could go on all morning of stories in the Bible that look bleak, hard, challenging, and through God's comma, the promises of God played out. I'll close with this. This is truly the closing. Judges 5.14. This is a very interesting story. And uh, if, go ahead and show it, Mark, if you would. I told you to hold on, but go ahead and show it if you would. It says, Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalekite. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, and out of Makar, uh, Makar came uh, down governors, and out of Zebulun. Now, you may or may not be familiar with the scriptures. Zebulun was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was one of the children of Joseph that 12 tribes of Israel. And they handled the pen of the writer. Now at this time, Deborah, if you look in Judges here, we'll read from Deborah was the judge that was leading Israel, an amazing leader. She was, a, she was an unbelievable leader for Israel. And, and, and not just in spiritual leadership, but she literally actually led them into battle. Deborah did. And, uh, and joining them is this little tribe. It says they only had about 47,000 people to their tribe in, in Zebulun. But yet they displayed a tremendous amount of courage and fearlessness for God. And God took note of them. God noticed their faithfulness and their fearlessness. And so when you look into Zebulun, I wasn't familiar myself. I, mean, I knew it was one of the 12 tribes. But what I didn't know today, it's what is today Galilee in the northern part of Israel, which is where Capernaum was, which is the very place where the majority of Jesus' miracles took place. Although Zebulun's name is rarely mentioned in scriptures, he was part of the foundation that God laid for his nation and would one day be the very place of the land that God gave him would be the place that Jesus walked. Of the 12 tribes of Israel founded in Genesis, 
and yet still prominent in the book of Revelation in 21. It talks about it had a great high wall with 12 gates and the 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Zebulun's name will be in eternity engraved on the temple. So what's my point? Zebulun's name is inscribed in heaven because not what he did, not because he was good, but for the fact that he never quit. He never gave up. He was fearless. He was faithful. And the Bible doesn't give us great detail about his life or the tribe and what they really had to go through. What it does point out that through the leadership of Deborah, Zebulun stood up and fought for what was right. Didn't surrender, didn't quit, no matter whatever they did go through in their life. So what can we learn from Zebulun's life? God has a plan that supersedes any ideals we have. Make all the plans you want. Understand God's author. Despite our mistakes and our rebellion, God's plan goes forward, as we read in Isaiah's 46.10. He is working out His will for His creation through your life and through my life, and we each play a part in His glorious plan. Don't think you don't. If you didn't have a part in God's purpose for His glory, you would not be here. He would call you on to glory. He would call you on to your mansion. He'd be through with you. If you're here, then you're here because He wants you to contribute to His glory. We can't contribute to the glory of God if we're stuck at periods in our life. So this morning, I just want to encourage you, keep walking. You may be in the boat and waves may be crashing over, thinking you're going to die, and, and you feel that Jesus is asleep in the bow just like the disciples. Well, he's not. He's fully awake, I promise you. And he's fully in control. You fall down, get up. And when you get up, look up. And whatever, whatever you do, never, never, never give up. God's not through with you. He's a God of a comma, not a God of periods. Don't place a period where God's placed a comma in your life. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. It's so much encouragement. Father, we could talk for days this morning without break, a story after story after story that there's a huge comma in somewhere, a comma that transcends a circumstance, a comma that, that overcomes our limitations in the flesh and comes about because of the power of your Spirit. Father, we've all made plans. We've all had desires and wishes. We've all tried to, to do ministry and build ministry and, and be this and be that for your glory. And we get discouraged and sidetracked and beat up and beat down. But Father, we look at a little tribe like Zebulun who's never mentioned, and yet you've engraved him and his tribe on the temple in heaven for eternity. 
because he was willing and they were willing to be used. I'm sure, just like every one of us, Zebulun had his trials, his persecution, his storms. Who knows, when we get to heaven, we may find out all the periods he tried to put in his life. But we know there had to be a comma because he's recorded for eternity. That's what we want. We want to just be part of eternity. We want to be part of it, contributing to your glory, to your kingdom. Not our life, to your kingdom, to your purpose. And to keep on moving forward, we got to focus on the commas, our understanding that no matter where we're at in life, no matter what's happened to us, what storms we're facing, doesn't matter our age, our health, these things cannot be limitations we bring into our life. They're spiritual excuses because we put a period there. If we're here, it's because you got a comma in our life. Help us to focus on that. Help us to understand that there is tomorrow, and because of that, there's promise and hope. As the music plays, the altar's open. Maybe it's a good time to confess and to address periods in your life that God's wanting to get you past for His glory. If you're here, it ain't over. Todd made an interesting statement. He said, stop cheating yourself. Spiritually speaking, stop cheating yourself. You wouldn't cheat yourself physically, would you? Nobody here would. My, <laughs> my brother Manny and I and my brother Doug, we go fishing every year, been doing it for 25 years. My older brother, he doesn't get involved. But Manny and I, we will bet on everything. I don't gamble. I've never been to Las Vegas. I don't do any of that. But when it comes to him and I, first fish, five bucks. Biggest fish, five bucks. Most fish, five bucks. And I mean, we're stopping each other from fishing just to get that first fish. When we play cribbage, you know, five bucks. My, my older brother says, you too. Putt, putt, golf. Five bucks. Now, by the way, in all of those things, and by the way, I lost a boatload of money this year. <clears throat> There's not one game that I played him that I was going to cheat myself and just say, oh, I'll let him win at putt-putt. Ain't going to happen. I'll let him win at cribbage. I'll let him win at first fish. I'll let him win, you know. It's amazing what we bet on. We'll go to the We'll go to the grocery or, no, or the restaurant, and he'll say, okay, let, let, let's see who's going to pay the waitress. And we have the waitress pick a number, 
And if the number comes up, then I have to pay for the entire meal. If the number comes up for him, he has to pay. We bet on everything. The only, the only one I bet things with. But I wouldn't cheat myself. I want every dime he has. We, we have a bowl in the cabin. A bowl. I can't tell you how big a bowl he had this year. Point being, Brother Todd said, don't cheat yourself. Don't cheat yourself spiritually. Don't stay out of church. Don't stay out of praying. Don't stay out of your, off your spiritual schedule. Stay in the book. Be where you're supposed to be spiritually. Don't cheat yourself spiritually. You wouldn't cheat yourself physically. Great sermon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time here this morning. Thank you for the emphasis of uh, the comma versus the period. God's not done with us, so let's not cheat ourselves spiritually by not uh, being uh, faithful to your word and in your service. And Lord, thank you for a great truth in Christ's name. Amen.